So, as I, as I said earlier on, uh, today we kick off a series of four Sundays with the theme, A Habit of Mind. And um, as you've read on the church email, if you've had a chance, um, and I hope you've had also a chance to have a look at the whole book of Ephesians, but we, our main focus is going to be on chapter four and five. And um, just to, to say where, where the inspiration or where the prompt for choosing this a particular theme is. Um, and, and I just, uh, I wanted to share that with you so, so, so we are on the same page. And I, I keep coming back to the idea that unless the gospel is good news for the church, it cannot be good news for the people that God puts into church's way. And unless the gospel has bought, uh, brings that transformation in my life, I cannot expect that transformation to happen in the lives of other people, whether they are close to me or not. So, so when, when we come to, to, to the theme of this habit of mine, this is not something that I have taken lightly because actually, as I'm sharing with you, and, I, and you know my heart in this, in the same time, I, I'm preaching and I'm speaking to, to myself because I want for the gospel of Jesus Christ not just to be good information, I want it to be good news. So, before we, 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 we kick off, let's commit our hearts to God. Thank you for your word, Father God. And thank you that is still good news. And I want that word to transform me, to transform us to the likeness of Jesus. So bring our attention, Lord, to the things that you want us not just to process, but to the things that are in your heart for us to be transformed by the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meet us at the point of our need, Lord, and show us the Lord Jesus. And as we have sang that song that we are on our knees, Lord, we want to be on that knees posture as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The message from um, the book of Ephesians is, is quite relevant because it talks about a city. Uh, I don't know if you go by some churches, and, uh, and I love it when they've got the, the banner building Bristol, a city of hope. And, and I, I, every time I, I go by, I just say, Lord, would you help us as your people to build Bristol as, as a city of hope? Because there's so much that goes on in a city. You, we, we've, when we did the series on uh, Revelation, we, we, we looked a little bit at the whole idea of what, what, what was going on in Ephesus. And um, I don't want to spend a lot of time in that. All I want to spend a lot of time is, if you read Acts chapter 17 and 18, you see how can the gospel of Jesus Christ transform a city like Ephesus. 
Now, it was, it was quite crucial, as in, you know, where it was with the locality. It was a huge city. It was a transportation hub. And, and there were similarities with the culture of the postmodern England or the Western thinking. Um, yes, their technology was different, but the weak points of society were the same. Um, they were materialistic to the point of overkill, says one of the commentaries. And, and yet, in the midst of this messy, hopeless environment, springs a church, and God brings good news, and God brings transformation. And, and, and Paul is, is part of this story. The, the, the irony of it is that the, this Jewish fervent Pharisee has been given the mandate to go and bring the gospel to the people that he has detested all his life. Because his mandate was not to preach the gospel to the Jewish people. His mandate was to preach the gospel to the non-Jewish, the Gentiles. And, and, and he sees himself as part of this story that God is allowing him to go to different cities. cities and, and there's elements where he preaches the gospel. When he imparts the Holy Spirit, especially, I, I love this part of the, how the conversion in Ephesians uh, happens. Because they say... Paul says, did you know, know about, no, I think it was Apollos, did you not know about the Holy Spirit? No, we didn't know. And then they received the Holy Spirit. So, so in, in, in the light of what's happening, I think it's, it's quite appropriate for the apostle, when he has seen how people have responded, to be sharing pastoral care for them. So what we read in this portion of Scripture, which is the letter to the Ephesians, is basically we, we, we're reading Paul's mail to the church. And what, what he has seen, what he has noticed, and what are some of the things that he wants to, to talk about. And the, the, the interesting bit about this letter to the Ephesians is that actually is not like a normal, typical Paul system of thought and writing. Pete Barton did a great job of reading Ephesians chapter 1 uh, last Sunday, and it was a, a good prompt to the series. Because if we see the letter as a whole, there are two parts in it, really. The first three chapters are praise and worship, and the, last, the next three, four, five, and six, which were, it's the response to, to, to that establishment of who God is and what he has accomplished in Christ. So it is going to do us a disfavor if we talked about Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 without looking at the first part of Ephesians. So I'd love for us to open our Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the, the first 10 verses there, and, and this is, I think this is the basis of 
what we're going to be working on in the next, um, well, today and in the next three Sundays. This is, this is the foundation. This is the, this is the pivot in which all the hinge of our expectations and our activity hangs on. So, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were all objects to wrath. But because of his great love for us, God in his rich mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God not only made us alive, but he raised us, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good, good works, which God prepared us in advance for us to do. Let's go quickly to chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Remember, he called it a gift earlier on, now calling that you have received. So, so, so in the light of this great presentation that Paul has experienced of who God is and how he is revealed in Jesus and how in this revelation, if we have come to meet Jesus, we've been given life, we've been made alive. And not only that, but we have raised up with him. In the light of this, Paul says, and I think the NIV, we miss a little bit with the NIV there, because the sentence in Greek starts with, therefore, and if you'd see, there's probably th four main therefores in the book of Ephesians that actually are hinged with this revelation of who we are in Christ, what he has caused us, and what he has made us to be, and what is, what is our, the result of that? What do we do as a result of that? So when we, when we look at the book of Ephesians, and we look at our, our own setup here, you're saying, well, what does that mean then for us? And, and the first thing that I wanted to say is that we should never, I should never 
underestimate the gift of God that he has given to us. Chapter 2 talks about the gift. Now he talks in uh, verse, first verse of chapter 4, something about that you have received. And do you know how special that is? What is the best gift that you have ever received in your life? Multiply that with whatever number you want to make it a little bit bigger. And it doesn't stop there. Because it's a God-given gift. And this, this new life, this aliveness that Paul talks about is not something that actually is, is a cheap something. I love it when, when I see the generosity of people when we do the wee boxes for Albania and the creativity that people have gone through to fill them up. And it's very rare that you find boxes that actually people have not just thought of it very well and they've just put a McDonald's uh, gift And I want for us to be thinking on those terms that whenever God thought of dealing with us, with his people, the people that he had created and had loved and had pursued and had gone after, he had always thought of the best gift for us. And the best gift that he could give for us is his son. So we, when we encounter Jesus and we come face to face with him, saying, actually, he is the only one that our life is worth living for because he has given us life. What is interesting here in verse first verse of, of Ephesians 4 is the most important verse of that, the most important word of that verse is, is then in the NIV or therefore. Because, again, This makes Christianity different from all other world religions. Why do I say that? Because in our pursuit of God, Paul has reminded us in chapter 2 that we have done nothing. Nothing that we we can do that will deserve God's favor. By grace you've been saved... So, so our pursuit of God is not just that we live better lives so we can change God's mind in order that in, in the end of times, so in the end when we see in face, things might change and they go here and they go there. No. The beauty of the therefore here is that God has done it all for us. You don't have to do anything about it. Don't waste your time trying to please God by doing good things. Things. No, that doing of the good things is as a result because you have met with a living God and He's given you life. And that's what Paul is saying here. Because we have become alive in Christ, therefore, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. 
And I know it's chapter 4 and Paul doesn't need to remind us that he is in prison at this stage because they know he is. But I think that word prisoner there is quite intentional because it's a reminder that in order to be alive in Christ is costly. Yes, it's God's gift. Yes, it's there for us, but it has got a cost. And the reason why Paul himself is in prison is not because he's done something criminal. No, he has talked to other people about the life that they can obtain by embracing Christ. That's why he's a prisoner for of Jesus here, because he has set up his mind that He's going to embrace that life and he's going to talk about that life of, in Jesus to everybody and at all costs, even to the cost of being deprived in prison. And then he says, as a prisoner of, for the Lord, I urge you, I urge you, The, the, the Greek word that is used here is parapleto, which means that I, I, I come along, I, I, I want to, to, to encourage. Um, the, the, there are some translations who have said, I have summoned, I, I summon you, I just want. And it's basically, it, the, the, the implication of that verb is that there is an expectation there for us to live in response to this revelation, in response to meeting with Christ, to live as a result of this life that we have seen. So, um, as I was preparing, I was trying to think of what is, what is some, some examples of that. So, um, I have never been called uh, to um, do jury service. I remember um, I met somebody last year that uh, had to do that, actually was a minister. And basically, it was in a very critical time for the church. And he, he, called, he was called to be for two weeks. I think it was Christmas time. I can't remember it now. Maybe. And, and the, the expectations is there that you show up unless you've got very, very good reasons why not to. But even those very good reasons are... I don't know, I don't understand it very well because I've never had to do it. But, 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 but I think that kind of urge here is that kind of, the, the, that it's not a demand, but actually you can't escape the fact that you're doing it. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live a life worthy of the calling So th there is this, this invitation for, from, P from Paul to, to say to the Ephesians that, guys, you are in a journey, and I invite you to carry on to being part of the journey. So, so what we're going to do as we look into this habit of mind, we're going to be doing this journey because there are different kinds of the way that he say, talks about the walk. But the, the, 
the overarching theme is this walk worthy of the calling. And um, this idea of walk really brings to mind my experience of when I first came here. I've probably shared this with you. So the idea of the Mediterranean walk is that um, on the hot summer evening, you leave your house at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the evening in my home city. You go all the way down to the seafront and you come back. And it's like a city tradition. So when I was invited for the first walk in England, I thought it's going to be one of those experiences of short stroll just down to the beach and then come back. Um, and uh, I was disappointed. I remember going for a walk in Scotland with Dave Myerscoe. My goodness, I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a very long walk, but that's what we did in holidays. You go for a walk. So, so when, 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 when he talks about this walk worthy of the calling, I, I always come to say, now God, are you talking to me about the... Uh, uh, a Mediterranean laid back, you have an ice cream when you want and how you want? <laughs> or do you just put on your boots and you get on the mountain and you conquer it and if you get lost, you just carry on until you find the roots? What do we do with this? But I think the defining, the defining phrase here is that the walk is defined by God's to us. Worthy, it's a word that is translated worthy in English, and the, the Greek is axios, which means it's in, I don't want to, word, to use the word balance, because we use it a lot, but it's, it's, it's in equilibrium, so everything is holds in, in equal weight. So this is, this is what, what Paul is saying here that, that the way that we live our lives is in equal weight to what God has caused us to be. Otherwise, if we don't live in equal weight, then it's disproportionate. So we're coming back to that idea of realignment, really. And he's saying, live a life that is worthy, axios, the equal weight of the calling. And there is an element here that there is a personal calling for each and every one of us, but also there is a corporate calling because the, the outworking of this equal weight cannot be seen in our individual isolated lives. It has to be exercised with other fellow believers. And that's why he's got then the right to talk about humility and to talk about gentleness and patience and love and every effort and all those other things. But really, what's going on here is that God has given us this calling. We have been the recipients. And now... What do we do with that?
what are some of the things, what are some of the virtues, what are some of the indicators that kind of show that we are living a life worthy of the calling. And this is where the rubber hits the road for me. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit. You were called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So if my response to this God's calling is not in tune, it's not aligned, it's not calibrated by the marks that Paul is stating here, then this is the space where the Holy Spirit needs to be at work in my life, in your life and in our life. The reason why I have called it a habit of mine is because there are very good things that we can celebrate as a community. There are good things that we can celebrate as individuals. But when it comes to the light of Jesus being shined into our private areas of our life, Are we in that position to allow God's life to give us life? Because actually, the beauty of this and and the the thing that encourages me anything from anything else is that I don't have to do anything to change God's mind for his love for me. But... We love because he first loved us. And my way of showing my love for him is by wanting to do what my daddy in heaven pleases. I see it very well with my kids. There's times that they annoy me and drive me to the wall. But there's times when they want to please me because they know that I will be very pleased with that particular action. Gloriana has been well trained to make me an espresso. (laughs) I promise she makes the best espresso in the world. That pleases me. In all different levels. But she knows that she 
she says, can I make you an espresso? And that phrase, has all, I've already drank 10 espressos then, if she had said that. But, but she knows what are the things that please me. And I think this is what Paul is asking here, that actually our reaction to this God's love and to this life that he has given us is not because we're heavily loaded and burdened with chores that we need to do because we have to go and please God. No. We've met freedom in Christ. And because of this freedom, because the Son has set us free and whoever the Son sets free, he's free indeed. Then we say, yes. Now, I say yes, and that's very easy. Mm, Humility. Gentle. Patient. Bearing with one another. Every effort. Unity. Called. This is where the rubber hits the road. And unless I allow the spirit of the giving, of the living God to give me life in these areas of my life, then the gospel remains good information and is not good news. So we're going to be on a journey And this is uncomfortable, very uncomfortable for me, and I'm sure that will be uncomfortable for you. And this is not a journey of me being superior or inferior. This is a journey for us to meet with a living God and you say to your work. Now, as a result of Ephesians 4 and 5, there's even conversations that we're having among elders, so we appreciate your prayers for that, as in the light of what we have read. And by the way, we had a good meeting yesterday. Thank you for praying for us. Are we going to inform you a little bit more about that at the church meeting, where we want to go and how we want to do things? But, but God's Spirit is at work. And sometimes God's Spirit is at work with things that we don't like. And I don't like to be challenged to be humble. I don't like to be challenged to be gentle. I don't want to to be challenged to be patient. And perhaps you think, oh, there's some of these things that I can can do in in, in the way that I, I bear and all those things. Whereas the invitation is very black and white. Are you living a life worthy of the calling? The axios, the equal weight. I'm not. And I want for that equal weight to be so spot on. And I can only do that if I allow myself and the Spirit of God to work in me. And I want that for myself. I want that for you. I want that for us. 
And this is real stuff, folks. And if you think that God has challenged you in a particular area or something that you think, I want to be mindful or I want to be thinking about this in this coming weeks and you want to be accountable about that, talk to somebody and pray with somebody that you really trust. And I've already done that this week. And I met with Pete Barton on Friday and I exposed a few things that I thought, now this needs to come to light because if I want for God to be at work in your life and not on mine, then what a hypocrite. And I don't want that actually. So I'm going to leave a moment and then we're going to take communion but we're not going to take communion in the light of our shortfallings. Yes, let's acknowledge that before God. But we're going to take communion in the light of we want to respond to this life-giving gift of God. And before we do that, I want to give some space for us to mark down a few things, even in your notice sheet if you want. Confess them before God and say, this is where I want your spirit to be doing business with me. And then we'll come to the communion table.